advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. So, Biden first was way too weak in dealing with the spy balloon. And then he shot from the hip in dealing with the second balloon. But one way or another, it wasn't a very good day for balloons. That balloon descent was brought to you by my sidekick, Doug DePierre. That was my cameo. <laughs> who is uh, not only an artist and a maestro musician, he also is an expert on balloon dissension. Yeah. <laughs> that um, was funny. Come on. That was good. Yeah. He, uh, Biden, you know, when there's an issue of foreign policy, it's the best opportunity we have to really see the president of the United States in action. Because foreign policy is run by a by one person, the, the president. Uh, it's a job you do in your bathrobe. I've been with Bill Clinton many times when he's sitting there and Tony Lake, the national security advisor, bursts in with a piece of news about Bosnia or about Kosovo. And, uh, and he's, he makes the decision right there. And uh, it's clearly it's a very personal job running foreign policy. The economy or other aspects of domestic policy, not so. There's an economic council, there are advisors, there's Congress, there's the global economy, there's Budget Bureau, there's the Federal Reserve Board, all kinds of other actors in the scenario. But when it comes to acting as the president in foreign policy, there is no multi-layered scenario. That's interesting. There's only the president himself. Hmm. So you really get a great sense of what the president is like when he does foreign policy. If he's really decisive and aggressive, you're going to see it. If he's dithering and all that, you're going to see that too. Wow. With Biden, you saw both. <laughs> of course. <laughs> At first, he was the essence of dithering. Right. He had no idea what to do. He waited till the damn thing had completely traversed the United States. And, and surveyed. Surveyed, photographed everything they wanted to photograph, God. sent them back to Beijing, and then he shot it down. Uh, then when he saw how criticized he was and how everybody went after him and said that it was dithering and, and incompetence and all of that, when he learned that the second balloon, bam, <laughs> he shot from the hip like Wyatt Earp. <laughs> and, and down the balloon came. Nobody even being quite sure it was a balloon. More like Wyatt Burp. Nobody. God. <laughs> you, you need a two-second delay. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a curse word, was no, it? No, but it was uh, yucky. <laughs> yucky. So, so um, yeah, he's he on the second go-round, he just shot from the hip. He was totally uh, in a damage control mode having nothing whatever to do with with the substance of it or with the danger it posed. Let's just do a backdrop and some perspective on this. In, 1950, in, in the 1950s, when the U.S. began uh, its nuclear monopoly, 
uh, President Eisenhower offered the Russians an open skies treaty, which said that the U.S. and Russia would not stop uh, basically spy satellites and, and overflights, and we would have open skies and you could look at anything you wanted. And Russia refused that. And then uh, Eisenhower was trying to resist the hawks in Congress who were saying we need to spend more money, we need to – Kennedy was running it for president. He said we have a missile gap. And Eisenhower was an experienced military guy and he knew we had no missile gap. In fact, we had a real superiority over the Russians. Um, but he but he wanted to make sure. So he authorized a U-2 plane, a weather plane that flew at 70,000 feet that supposedly couldn't be shot down. And he authorized flyovers of Russia right before the 1958 summit meeting in Paris. And uh, it was a disaster. The Russians shot it down. They captured the pilot, Francis Gary Powers. They captured the equipment intact and so on. And the U.S. lied about it and said it was a weather balloon. And then it turned out that it was a spy thing. And Eisenhower, who was still a role model and a hero, was caught in a lie. And then Khrushchev walked out of the ensuing summit meeting right. mm-hmm. uh, because he was lied to by Eisenhower and he ended his term in relative disgrace. Um, but the only reason he needed the the overflight was because the open skies was rejected. Uh, then we got used to spy satellites and nobody had to overfly. There was no issue like that because the spy satellites did it all in the sky. And because of spy satellites, we were able to have nuclear arms control because in the overflights, you could really catch exactly what each side was doing. May I ask you a question, sir? Exactly that. Now, we have satellites, and the satellites could, as you hear all your life, they could read a a license plate. What? Why did they need this balloon? That's what that's, I want to know. That's a very good if question. The satellites are up there. Nobody knows the answer to right. that. Right. Okay. Uh, and if it was just visual spying, you're right. What did they need it for? And uh, so it may have been something else. Ooh, it, sonar. Well, it may have been related to an electromagnetic pulse, uh, our power grid to figure out where the vulnerabilities are. But mm. it's hard for a civilian to speculate on what, you could get from a spy balloon that you couldn't get from a spy satellite, mm-hmm. uh, but it's something that bears looking at. We really need to, we really need to talk about that. Uh, but the thing that disturbs me about this is the stupidity and the reaction of Biden's response. First, he doesn't know what to do. He does. He confers with people. He doesn't do anything. He acts like uh, you know. Pardon me, I'm uh, I'm, in, I'm 75. He acts like somebody a few years older than me. <laughs> and, and then uh, and then he reads the press clippings and he sees how he's being fried for that, and he reacts really crazy and shoots from the hip. And we really don't know yet if he should have done that or not. Um, let's go to Carlo in uh, Cortina, Cortina Valley. Hey, Carlo. Cortina Valley and the Catskills named after Cortina, Italy. The Alps. Ah, okay. First of all, thank you and your sidekick for providing the service, speaking up for America. And let me tell you something. We need to reactivate civil air defense. We need to reactivate junior ROTC in high school. We need to reactivate the New York Navy. Believe it or not, there is one. We need to reactivate the Coast Guard Auxiliary. I do believe there are a few millennials who will care about this country 
to serve without having to become cannon fodder over an unwinnable wars uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq. And we have to concentrate on the fact that if Joe Biden is compromised, that Hunter Biden is a, a walking disaster. He sold drugs in the yep. military. He should be doing okay. life and left. We, we got it, Carla. Thank you. Thanks for Thank your you, call. Uh, Wait, there's no ROTC anymore? Is uh, it? I think there is, oh, yeah. but I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so uh, when we get back, we'll answer the big question, is Biden running? This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Well... Biden keeps saying he's going to run, and he, they keep delaying his announcement. Uh, he was going to run. He said as soon as he was inaugurated, he said, I'm going to run for re-election. And, uh, and he's repeated that. And then everybody expected him to announce before the midterms, and he didn't. And then everyone said he'll wait till the midterms, and he didn't. Then they said he'll wait till January 1st, and it, nothing happened. Then they said he's waiting for the State of the Union speech, and after that he'll announce. And nothing happened. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. And as time keeps on slipping into the future... What we have instead of an announcement is. So apparently I have to talk now. I've run out of music to play for you. <laughs> um, the, uh, Biden has a serious, serious problem getting himself renominated. Not reelected, reelected, yeah, but renominated comes first. <clears throat> McLaughlin did a poll that showed that only twenty five percent of likely Democratic primary voters would vote for Biden if he ran for reelection uh, against the field of, of other Democrats, and uh, he came in at twenty five. Uh, Michelle Obama came in at twenty four. Um, uh, Harris came in at uh, at seven. Buttigieg led the field of real contenders, coming in at about fifteen. And uh, Elizabeth Warren was on it. Uh, Bernie Sanders was on it. Uh, AOC was in there. Hillary was in there. All of those got more than six or seven percent of the vote, but less than fifteen. And then you had a field of about 10 candidates or 15 candidates who got between 1% and 3% of the vote. Uh, they had um, Beto O'Rourke, uh, Amy Klobuchar, um, just a, a cast of thousands. I mean, everybody you could think of, and uh, all with minor vote shares. So the problem is that if he doesn't run Cory Booker, if he doesn't run again, uh, every, the Democratic Party shatters and splinters into a thousand pieces. 
Now, in assessing what Biden's going to do, you have to start with one fundamental fact. He is not president of the United States right now. Barack Obama is in his third term. Right. Obama engineered Biden's election by by moving the South Carolina primary and, and getting the endorsements there and then leveraging that into Super Tuesday. And he has run the Biden administration uh, through um, his people who are still there. He calls every move, uh, every policy, every program. I know you told me that early on. You still is, think he's is Obama's doing, doing yes. Uh-huh. And the question now is, uh, can he get Michelle to run? Hmm. Uh, he wants Michelle to run. Uh, it would continue his legacy. It would give him most graphically a third term. But she refuses to run. She doesn't want to run. She just doesn't want to be into this. And you have to be a marriage counselor to determine if he is going, if if <laughs> she is going to run or not. Now, if she's not going to run, they're probably going to stay with Biden because it would fracture the party too much if he pulled out. Wow! But it also, but it's becoming increasingly clear that as Michelle won't make a decision, a that she's probably not running, and b that Biden can't hold the party together. And everybody's waiting for somebody to say the emperor has no clothes. You know, everybody's talking about how great the emperor's suit looks and how great his shoes are and everything, uh, because nobody wants to say the truth, which is that he has no clothing. Right. And we're waiting for somebody to step up and say he has no clothes and challenge Biden in a primary. And the whole list of wannabes, the whole list that, that I was talking about, are all Democrats waiting for an opening to be able to do that. Now, sooner or later, meaning sooner, some guy is going to break discipline. Mm-hmm. Some guy is going to th- say, the hell with this. I'm not going to uh, sit back and wait for him to self-destruct or implode. I'm stepping out there and I'm running against him like Eugene McCarthy mm-hmm. <clears throat> did to Lyndon Johnson mm-hmm. in 1968. And Johnson dropped out of the race shortly after that. Kennedy came in and Johnson ran away. As Johnson always did, by the way, in his life, he was always a coward. And um, and and the somebody is going to break ranks and break discipline. And uh, that will probably impel Michelle to make a decision. Uh, but you don't know because in the intricacies and intimacies of the Biden, of the um, Obama marriage, that this decision will lie. Now, broadly, conceptually, there are three wings to the Democratic Party right now, if you take Obama out of it and you take Biden out of it. One is the blacks, which is obviously run by Obama. And if Michelle doesn't run, you're looking at probably one of two candidates, Cory Booker, the senator from New Jersey, or Duval Patrick, the former governor of Massachusetts, both African-American, both radical, but... Adopted radical, you know. What's that uh, mean? Well, they they aren't they they didn't initiate it. They on their own wouldn't be crazy, uh, but everybody's crazy, so they're following in the way. <laughs> like Biden's doing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh-huh. precisely, uh-huh. and uh, and they're so they're not they're not uh, cancel culture people, uh, but with the party going in that direction, they'll they don't object it. and they'll go with it. Right. The second and the second wing. Is the uh, are the crazies, the leftists, the absolute insane ones, 
who want cancel culture, woke everything. And uh, their candidate is probably going to start off as Bernie Sanders. Uh, but he's got the same age problem that Biden does. And it's not clear that in an environment where people are pressing Biden not to run, that Sanders can run. <laughs> and if Sanders can't run and they won't, people won't put up with it, then you're talking about a few, uh, some moderate crazies who might get the nomination and some crazy crazies who might get it. They're all within the crazy wing of the Democratic Party. <laughs> the moderate crazies are Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, and uh, and uh, Elizabeth Warren, senator from Massachusetts, and they might get the nomination. AOC. They, no. No. The crazy crazies ah. are AOC. At some point, they might go all the way over. Uh, AOC right now is planning to run against Gillibrand, the senator from New York, in the primary. I urged her to run against Schumer, and I thought she could have beaten Schumer. But she chose the easy shot, which would be Gillibrand, and She'll kill Gillibrand. She'll walk away with that. She's our new senator, by the way. But um, and then the third wing is the is the decrepit, demoralized, diminished wing. That's the establishment of the Democratic Party, and their candidate is Buttigieg. And you know that because when Biden appointed Buttigieg to oversee the recovery from COVID program. He gave Buttigieg the power to spend the money, oh, right, right. which meant he could pass out patronage. This guy could give out billions and billions of dollars and get IOUs in return. Uh, and because of that inside game, Buttigieg now would be the front runner of the establishment. And also, since he's gay, he has that constituency glued to him. By the way, we I just got a poll that explained how many gays there are in the country, which is something I've really wondered. This poll says that 10% of the vote is cast by people who describe themselves as gay, uh, which is high, much higher than I thought. It compares to about 12% that are black and about 15% of the vote that are Hispanic and 6% of the vote that are Asian. Obviously, there are overlaps in that, mm -hmm. but just that that's kind of the quantification you need to use. Now, my bet is that none of those establishment candidates will be strong enough to anchor the field, and that particularly if AOC wins the radical sub-primary and, uh, and, and there's a black candidate running, either Booker or Patrick, that the pressure will be there for Hillary to run. What about because, Michelle? If she well, does. I'm saying this is all if Michelle doesn't all run. Right. Uh -huh. and, and I think Hillary at that point would run. And uh, and would would rapidly outdistance the whole other field, and would end up being Hillary against a radical against a black. Now the racial politics here in the Democratic Party are really important. The Democratic Party has become basically a black party, and uh, the the Democrat the Republican Party the white party. Latinos kind of fall in between and are moving increasingly Republican. But blacks are so concentrated in the Democratic primary, both because they live in those southern states disproportionately. Uh, you still have about 70, 60 percent of the black population of the U.S. Is, still lives in the old 11 Confederate states. Uh, so, so that's a, a fundamental political fact. And because they control the party apparatus under Obama and under Biden, 
they've stacked the primaries in such a way that the blacks can really name the candidate. And that's why they have South Carolina first, then followed quickly by Michigan and Georgia, the two majority white states with the largest black population after South Carolina. And they're doing all that so that they can leverage the nomination, all as a setup for Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. But if Michelle doesn't run, then they'll hope that Booker or Patrick can anchor that field. But they're probably too weak to be able to do that. So instead of wiping out the field, which it would be if Michelle ran, there'll be a field, and at that point you're going to have an establishment candidate named Hillary and probably a radical candidate, my guess is, that it's going to be AOC. And um, and I think that the – so I think – I'm sorry, is there a technical problem? Yeah, your screen went down. Okay, all right, good. Okay, uh, so so the so here's where we stand. Biden might have to pull out because it's obvious, and when as it becomes more apparent, and he does pull out, that becomes increasingly likely because the uh, he lacks support in the Democratic primary. If he pulls out, if he stays in, you're waiting for somebody to say the emperor has no clothes, a rebel who steps out of line in the Democratic Party, challenges him, beats him in the early primaries, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden sets up a potential candidacy. If Biden pulls out voluntarily, then the question is, does Michelle get in or not? If Michelle gets in, she's the nominee, and she'll she'll run as the Democratic candidate. Barack has leveraged that with the order of the primaries. And by the way, I don't think she's very strong. The polling I've done, Trump beats her in the head-to-heads. And wait till she opens her mouth and explains how she feels about the United States yeah, and right. how she was never proud of it till her husband was elected president. Correct. Uh, I think Michelle has a lot of vulnerability. But if she gets in, I think she'll win the nomination. But if she gets out and Biden says she gets out, then you're dealing with a three-way fight. You're going to have Hillary. You're going to have AOC or some other radical like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, and you're going to have either Cory Booker or Duval Patrick, and there'll be that three-way fight. I believe that ultimately in that fight, Hillary would be the most likely to win, but some of the others might too. Okay, so... This is interesting, i got to tell Inhale you. and exhale. Right. Uh, does Biden run again? Probably not. Mm. If Biden doesn't does run again... He probably draws a challenger, a Democratic rebel, who probably beats him and causes everybody else to get into the race. Mm. If Biden does not run, then does Michelle Obama run? If she runs, I think she probably wins the nomination. She's got the useful idiots. There'll be a fight, but she'll win. If Michelle Obama does not run and Biden does not run, then you've got a three-way fight between a black, a radical, and an establishment. Hillary will beat out Buttigieg and the other candidates for the establishment. Uh, AOC, I think, will beat out Bernie Sanders and the others for the radical. And it'll be the Patrick or, or Booker, depending on who Obama likes, who would run as the black candidate. And that's the field. And my guess there is Hillary wins. Okay? Wow. Oh, my God. Inhale, exhale. I need a nap. 
Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the one of the above-mentioned clowns who's to the left of me is Adam in New York. Let's hear again what he has to say. <laughs> hey, hey, Adam. Hey, Adam. Hey, hey. <clears throat> hey Dick. Uh, here's my analysis. Uh, whether or not it's Biden, he's probably going to get the nomination again. But what's going to happen is uh, Trump, if he gets the nomination, which is highly unlikely given all the donors are not backing him, he's going to lose against Biden again. If he doesn't get the nomination, um, he's going to run as an independent, as an FU to the Republican Party. Okay. And he's going to— Stop, stop, no stop. You're wrong. He'll never run as an independent. Wrong, wrong, and wrong. Uh, you're wrong. He'll probably get the Republican nomination. All right. The fact that the big donors are not supporting him means nothing to him because he gets all of his money from small contributions online. In 2016, uh, when even before he was president, he raised $300 million online. He yep. did as well in 2020. He'll do as well in 2024. And the big donors oppose him precisely because he won't take their money and they won't control it. They can't buy him. Yeah, which is why. Uh, Now, the rest of your prediction that Biden's going to run, who knows? But we went through that. And, Adam, I really appreciate your call. Thank you. I don't mean to demean you. I'm glad we have that other point of view. Um, Let's go to Judith in Brooklyn. Hi, Hi, Judith. Judith. Hi, guys. Hello. Um, Hello. Listen, um, this balloon thing that came around, and I'm thinking to myself, where is our military? Where is everything? And then I thought to myself, well, excuse me. They're so busy ramming down CRT and this whole team crazy with Biden and the Democrats. They're so busy with CRT. I call this their ideology. I call this it stands for me. It stands for communism, racism and tyrannical transgenderism. And that's what the military is busy with. Why don't you just give it two T's? Why don't you just say uh, uh, C-R-T-T, rat trans and uh, whatever you said. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, Judith. And and we don't know the extent to which this has undermined military preparedness. I think the Republicans are going to investigate that. Well, the president's got to... Tell them to do what they're going to do. Yeah, like, but, they can't do it on their own. No, but I think that they probably replaced many of the very good military right. with crazies, sure. with, with uh, cancel culture types. And I think that uh, we really won't know the impact of this on the military until Congress investigates it and then until Trump gets into office and you know, changes it. You know, you got to figure the smart guys in the military see this thing come across – the country, yeah. they know this is wrong. We got to shoot it down. The balloon, yeah, but which I'm talking about Judith's point about the uh, the, uh, the wokeness oh, in the, the military. Okay, so the the flip side of my previous segment: Will Biden run? Is Will Kamala run? And <laughs> uh, 
And here we have some perspective coming to us from McCartney. So the rap on Kamala is the chief. I mean, Kakala. Kakala Harris. <laughs> so the rap on Kakala is that she said that she would be in charge of the border, and she never visited the border. And now that there's a threat to her candidacy that they might drop her from the ticket, this is Kamala's new theme song. better because she has to get there in time to be renominated. Um, Harris is, is about 6.7 points behind Biden. So when Biden's job approval is 45, hers is 39. And right when Biden runs about 42, she runs about 36 or 37, which is very bad. And uh, when you ask people if Biden isn't going to run again, who would you support? She's in first place, but just at 15 percent of the vote. Uh, 14% for Michelle and smaller percentages for 20 other candidates. So she is she is the weakest, one of the weakest vice presidents in history. So the weakest president and the weakest vice president. Yeah. By the way, to put so Biden's ratings in perspective, when we ask voters, are you who would you vote for for, renomin- for nomination for the Democratic Party, Biden gets 25, which is terrible for an incumbent president in its own party. <laughs> Trump gets uh, 56, you know, just as a – that's what a former president should be getting when he runs in a primary in his own party. Now, vice president is a very difficult job because you have to take your signals from the president. And when there are no signals, when you're essentially the understudy to a corpse, what the hell are you going to do? What are you supposed to do? Do you strike out on your own? With new policies, do you wait for the president to cue you when there's nothing to cue you about? Uh, even being in charge of the border, what what's he in charge of? What is What are you going to do with that? As vice president, you can take the president's momentum and use it to shape your own constituency and your own efforts. Look at how Pence did that, I think, very effectively for Trump. But um, Kamala Harris is getting no guidance from above. Uh, from uh, Biden, she might be getting Biden's guidance from above Biden, but she uh, from Obama, but she is really just on her own. And we've had three women who have tried to be vice president. Kamala succeeded, Sarah Palin failed, and Geraldine Ferraro failed. But uh, none of them have really been up to prime time. And when they've been exposed to the firestorm of criticism that anybody gets and certainly any woman who runs for office gets they've wilted in the face of that I think Sarah Huckabee Sanders would not wilt I think that she is the real deal I think she'd hold up under the criticism she did she has has she stood up the White House briefing room is the perfect preparation for being in politics you know um, in Spanish bullfights before the before the matador enters, 
They have the picadors, who are guys on horses who run around sticking darts in the bull in his back, his big muscle, and they make him tired and enraged and angry and fierce, and he wants to go kill someone, and then they turn him loose on the matador, and he runs right into a sword. In Washington, Washington, in Washington, that is called a press conference. <laughs> That's funny. That I like when a guy gets impaled. That that exact ritual is what happens in a <laughs> presidential press. First, they stick pins in him to make him mad and weaken him. Then he gets into a froth of anger and he charges the matador and runs right into the sword and dies. Um, there. Uh, you're funny, Dick Morris. I, I think I can tell my Mexican Spanish story. Yeah, go on, hit it. This guy went into the. This guy loved to go to bullfights, and uh, whenever he went to a bullfight, he would eat afterwards with the matador and the other guys. And his favorite <laughs> dish was the bull's testicles. Oh God! That was served on a platter. This is great. And uh, there were these big, huge things, and he'd have a great meal. Oh God! One day he walks in. And there were tiny little testicles there. He said, what's this about? The guy said, the bull. Sometimes he wins. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> I got to tell you right now. I'll let that go now. Okay, at least I wasn't blotted out on delayed broadcast. Um, so so Elizabeth, so uh, Kamala Harris has had a very hard road to hoe uh, because of the failure <laughs> of Biden to lead. Your and, word is great. And it's, it's really, yeah, and it's really... A vice president needs to proceed in the wake of the president. And to be awake, the boat has to go. Mm-hmm. It has to run. It needs to have a speed. It needs to have waves. They're woke. You ever tried water skiing behind a boat that isn't going anywhere? You sink right to the bottom. I water skied all my life. You can life. only water ski if the boat is moving ahead, generating a wake, right. and then you're riding the wake in your water ski. I've never water skied, but I'm a great theoretician. And... Um, I and, did all my life. And if your boat mind. is standing still, you never can water ski. And that's the problem that Kamala Harris has. It's not her problem. She has plenty on her own. But it's the fact that there's no wake, there's no momentum, there's nothing coming from the boat, and therefore there's nothing for him to do. Uh, it's a little bit like riding a bike. You can ride fast, and nobody can topple you. You're really stable. But ever try sitting on a bike standing still, <laughs> it's almost over. impossible. You keep falling over. But basically and that's the problem Camel has. The coattails, but he's wearing a leisure, leisure suit. <laughs> yeah, kind of that, I guess. <laughs> okay, let's go to uh, Alec in Brooklyn. Hey, Alec. Hey, Dick. Thanks for taking the call. I actually want to talk with you off the air for 30 seconds You know, during the next commercial break. But I agree with you once, 100% about the fact that Trump is going to be the nominee for the Republican Party because he has 35 percent of the vote and the other 65 percent are going to be split up by other Republican candidates. So he's definitely going to be the nominee. But now about Joe Biden running, I think that he's going to run. Why wouldn't he run? But he's not going to get the backing from the media and the handlers like Obama that were helping him to win in 2020. Yeah. So, well, Michelle, it- Listen to your entire analysis of who's going to be the Democratic nominee, and I was the clearest analysis, and I got the clearest perspective ever. So I wanted to ask you about Michelle Obama running because she's not that smart of a person. When you say she's going to run, do you mean she's going to run like Joe Biden ran in 2020? I mean, she'll be a puppet. She'll she'll be a puppet. Uh, It'll uh, she'll do whatever Barack says to do. 
and uh, and I think that that will be the dynamic, and I think it will become increasingly clear as she runs. Uh, I think it's a mistake for Barack to have Michelle run, because I think he can conceal the puppet strings from Biden, but he can't conceal them from Michelle. And, uh, and if Michelle ever doesn't follow his lead, which happens in any marriage, it becomes a uh, domestic dispute writ large. Interesting. Uh, just like Bill and Hillary often would have over Monica and other, and other but, issues. But she'll be the president, so but she'll, she'll be have the president. that power. Right. Wow. That's right. Interesting. And, and you're setting up almost a soap opera at that point. That's interesting. Let's go to Mike in Queens. Hey, Mike. Hey, uh, Dick Morris. Nice to talk to you. Uh, I just have one comment about AOC and one about Hillary. Yeah. Uh, like, is, is, would AOC be old enough to run for 2024? Yeah, by, by, by three months. Huh. You have to be and 35, and she'll be 35 in three months. 35 years old, running for president? Don't you think that's not young? I mean. Uh-huh. They don't care. The well, useful idiots don't care. Yeah, and, you know, the incumbent's 80, so, you know, <laughs> average it out, and you have a pretty good pretty good record. That's messed up. <laughs> Let's go to Daniel in the Bronx. Hey, Daniel. Thank you. So um, you mentioned um, the Republican Party being the white party, but among white women, they basically break even. The Republican Party mm-hmm. underperforms with white women. Why do you feel that is, and what should the Republican Party do to appeal more to white women as a constituency? Thanks for the call, Daniel, and thanks for the information. Uh, Abortion, 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 abortion. That's the issue. That's what's driving white women into the Democratic Party. And uh, you see that because the younger white women who are being driven, uh, and uh, and it's, it's just so clearly abortion. Had, if the Supreme Court had not thrown out Roe v. Wade, the Republicans would have won the Senate overwhelmingly and would have a large margin in the House, and the election of 24 would be a foregone conclusion. It is entirely the pro-life, pro-choice issue that has completely polarized America and particularly polarized white women. And uh, that's, that's the, the Republican Party has to overcome that. Now, the problem is that the way to overcome it is to say, okay, I'm against abortion, except in the cases of rape, incest, life of the mother being in danger, or the first trimester, or the first 15 weeks, if you like. But the problem is that if you say that, you lose the Republican primary, because the Republican pro-life people won't vote for somebody who takes that position. And they'll say, what, is a human life less valuable within 15 weeks or, or the result of a rape, and and you get tied up. Right. There were two Republican Senate seats that we lost because the Republican nominee, one in Indiana and one in Missouri, said you can't get pregnant in a rape. Um, or another one said a rape means it's God's will, so you have to carry yeah, to hard. term. And that just destroyed their candidates. It elected Claire McCaskill, who never would have been a senator except for that. Yeah. So... Um, the, the Republican Party has to overcome that. How we overcome it and how we make that work, I don't know. You'll figure it out. I hope that the answer lies in facilitating adoption, but we'll have to see. When we get back, the real story about Medicare. Talk Radio 77 WABC. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump, and now... 
He's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, okay, now I'm going to tell you all the truth about Medicare and Social Security since they've reared their heads as issues after the State of the Union speech. The United States takes in about $4.3 trillion of tax revenue every year, and it spends about $5.3 trillion, and that extra trillion is borrowed every year, a little bit less, some years a little more. What other was it, 5 point what? About 5.3 and 4.3. Mm-hmm. And the total we spend on Social Security is $1.2 trillion. And the total we spend on Medicare is $800 billion, And the total we spend on Medicaid is $600 billion. That does not include the state share of that, which is another $300 billion. But in the federal budget, you got $1.2 Social Security, $800 Medicare, and total tax collections of about $4.3. So there is no reason that either of these programs should be on the chopping block or be endangered if we don't raise the debt limit because we don't need to borrow money to pay for it. You borrow money for all of the other stuff that goes on in government. Now, if you still put defense on the table and you're not going to cut for defense, defense is about another trillion. So you take Social Security, you're not going to cut that. Medicare, you're not going to cut that. Defense, you're not going to cut that. You still have you're, you're at that point about three, uh, let's see, one, two, three, three point something trillion, about three, and uh, we collect four and four and a half trillion in tax revenue, so you can cut that and you can use that to hold down the debt limit. Discretionary spending, which is money that is not Social Security, not Medicare, not Medicaid, and not. Uh, food stamps or any of the other entitlements has increased by 37% since 2019. And that's where you can cut. You can cut that like crazy. That's the staff at the State Department. It's our embassies. It's our foreign aid program. It's our, um, it's our health programs what do you in call the it U.S. Again? What do you call it? Discretionary spending. Uh-huh. And it's the Department of Labor. It's the enforce. It's the FCC. Uh, it's it's the Treasury Department. It's the bureaucracy, mm-hmm. the the guts of the government, the inner stuff. And think of that as the as the heart of the government, okay? Because that's what the guys want to protect. That's what the deep state wants to shelter. That's the IRS. That's the FBI. That's the NSA. That's the beating heart of the establishment. And the way they protect it is the way any good armadillo does. He surrounds it with armor. And the armor is designed to be such that you can't punch through it and you can't get to the heart. And the armor here is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and other entitlements. And it exists for the purpose of protecting the heart. So they say, oh, we have to cut government spending because we're cutting the debt limit. Okay, and then they'll say, oh, you don't want to cut Social Security. You don't want to cut Medicare. You don't want to cut Medicaid. You don't want to cut food stamps. You don't want to cut other entitlements. All they're doing when they say that is protecting what you do want to cut, 
which is the discretionary spending that's the heart that lies at the middle, that without which the armadillo in the deep state dies. And that's what they're trying to protect. And the fact is there's plenty of fat in that. That's where the waste is. That's where the fraud is. That's where you really can cut like crazy and not hurt anybody. But they'll tell you you can't get to that. You have to go through the entitlement programs, and that simply exists for the purpose of protecting the heart so that it doesn't come out of the real bureaucracy. You get what I'm saying? Sure. And they get elected again. Yeah. Yeah. And and the and the point, but the point is that they they hide their real priorities behind rhetoric about Social Security and Medicare. The Democrats hide it by saying that oh we don't want to cut these programs. The Republicans hide it by saying uh, we don't we want to decrease spending. But the fact is that both of them are protecting the heart, the core of what the government spends, discretionary non-defense spending, which comes to a little over a trillion dollars a year. We were at 37% over the last four years. And that's what they're trying to protect. The fact is that you could cut the debt limit, you could eliminate future borrowing, really, and finance it all out of the non-discretionary, discretionary non-defense spending. In budget lingo, it's DND, discretionary non-defense spending. And there's plenty of money there, and it gets added on to over and over again. But they disguise it by putting it behind Medicare and Social Security. And they do a kind of a fear thing, you know, fear-mongering on this thing. Now, why is Medicare in any trouble? There are two reasons. The first is that the it used to be that medical costs were rising. But lately, we've done a pretty decent job of tamping down medical inflation. Uh, That was one of the byproducts of Obamacare that actually worked somewhat. Um, The problem is that they keep wanting to expand Medicare to cover new stuff. Bernie wants it to expand to eyeglasses, to hearing aids, uh, to uh, to all kinds of other services that are not included now in Medicare. Uh, My wife, for example, was after her stroke, could get any amount of physical rehabilitation she needed. But her problem was her brain was screwed up by the stroke. And she couldn't get Medicare for that because it was mental health. And that was outside of the purview of the program. Mm -hmm. The left keeps wanting to expand Social Security to include those things. And that is the threat to Social Security. The threat to Social Security is not from the Republicans cutting it. It's from the Democrats expanding it Mm -hmm. to a point where you completely run through the trust fund. Now, when Social Security and Medicare were set up, first Social Security and then Medicare in 1964, the deal was that this would not be a welfare program. This would be an, an, a, a, uh, an investment program, a savings plan. Americans would put aside a certain amount of money for their old age, a certain amount for when they get sick, and that money would be a trust fund that would pay for all of these. You wouldn't need tax revenue. And for that, they had a dedicated Social Security tax, FICA, and a dedicated Medicare tax, I think two or three points above above that. But the problem is the spending has burst right through those limits. And now you only get Medicare and Social Security when it's subsidized by tax revenues. Uh, but there still is a trust fund that still goes on. And it's got about six or seven more years to live in Medicare 
and like 20 more years to live in Social Security. But when the trust fund runs out, it's no big deal. Who cares? I mean, you go back to Franklin Roosevelt saying this isn't a welfare program. This is a savings plan for Americans. We're just collecting the money mandatory through taxes that you should be putting aside for your own retirement. But we're just eclipsing that process. But the fact is that this is an excuse that nobody buys. We all realize Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and food stamps are fundamentally a welfare program. So admit it and pay taxes to fund it. Right. When you say that, you're accused of cutting Social Security and Medicare, which is not true. All you're doing is you're calling it what it really is. But the idea that Medicare and Social Security are going to collapse because they're going to be cut by some Neanderthal Republican regime that's going to come <laughs> in and slice the budget apart is ludicrous. The threat to Medicare is Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and AOC expanding it to cover right. everything. Um, a good example of that is Medicaid for poor people. Uh, under the COVID rules, we abandoned the means test for Medicaid. Anybody that walked in who had COVID could get Medicaid. And now they still get it. The number of Medicaid recipients has risen from about 67 million to 91 million during wow. the COVID epidemic. And they're still there. In fact, Congress passed a law saying it was illegal to kick somebody off Medicaid because their income had, was, was, it was ineligible. <laughs> In other words, they put them on Medicaid without asking if they're poor enough for Medicaid. Mm -hmm. And then they kept them there, and now they've made it illegal to throw them off. Wow. Uh, so again, the welfare state, they put 30 million new people on Medicaid. So the threat to Medicare, the threat to Medicaid, the threat to Social Security is – the Democrats growing it. And by the way, for Social Security, they took Social Security disability and Social Security income for disabled people, and they put it into Social Security so that that's expanding much more than it normally should. The old age pensions on Social Security are, have been funded for years. It's never going to be a problem. When there was a high, uh, a low birth rate and a high, when there was a high birth rate, we could wonder about that. But now there's a low birth rate, and, and we'll probably be okay. But not if we continue to expand Social Security and expand Medicare. So I'm tired of yelling at the television set when they say that the Republicans are going to cut Medicare and Social Security. Right. They're not. The Democrats are going to cut it by expanding it to a point where it has to do everything. It can't afford itself. And at that point, it becomes a regular welfare item in the budget. Dick Morris, it's an honor to be here with you. Well, I hope all of that helped you clarify the Democratic field, Kamala Harris and all that. But isn't it cool? Ride with the winds. You've got to get to the border. <laughs> book, the Mexico. Return. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.